Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 18 through 30. Once, a religious leader asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Then who in the world can be saved? He replied, What is impossible for people is possible with God. Peter said, We've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a powerful theologian and Lutheran pastor in Germany during World War II. He's perhaps best known for his staunch stance against the Nazi party at a time when many churches in Germany were either turning a blind eye to the atrocities of the Holocaust or fully celebrating the elimination of the Jewish people. Bonhoeffer was vocally opposed to the genocide and vocally opposed to the euthanasia employed to eliminate people the Nazi party considered problematic or unfavorable. For his strong stance against Hitler, Bonhoeffer was arrested by the Gestapo, imprisoned, and placed in a concentration camp. He was accused of participating with other members of a German military intelligence organization in a plot to assassinate Hitler, and he was subsequently hastily tried, convicted, and hanged for treason. All just two weeks before the Flossenburg camp where he was residing was liberated and Six, I'm sorry, 21 days before Hitler took his own life. His vocal opposition to grave injustice became an inspiration to the American civil rights movement and the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. And we can read Bonhoeffer's own thoughts on Christ and the sacrificial nature of following Jesus in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, perhaps his best-known written work. And in it, Bonhoeffer gives us a glimpse of what is asked of us when we choose the Christian life. His language is gender-specific, and I'm going to keep it that way in order to maintain the integrity of his writing, but please know that the description he offers is not gender-exclusive. Bonhoeffer writes, The cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ-suffering which every man must experience 
is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him, come and die. That's something a lot of churches don't put on the brochures. This invitation to die to ourselves so Christ can fully live in us doesn't necessarily translate to a catchy name for youth ministry. And yet when Jesus offered an invitation to a deeper faith and relationship, that was his elevator pitch. And as you could imagine, it didn't work for everyone. That leads to our first lesson this morning. Jesus wants would-be followers to do a heart check. Jesus wants would-be followers to do a heart check. Once a religious leader asked Jesus the question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. And the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Have you ever shown work that you're proud of to someone you admire, not necessarily because you are expecting expert feedback about how you can do better, but mostly because you want that person to tell you that you're doing a good job and keep it up? I remember when I was a student intern reporter, very green, but working at a station that I'd watched growing up. I'd develop stories and then bring them to a supervisor for review, partly because I was naive, but also because I was comparing my work with the at a professional station with the work of my peers who were still back in school, and I expected to get some attaboys and accolades when I presented my better work. Do you know what I rarely got? Pats on the back for effort, maybe for progress, but do you know what I often got? Exactly the feedback I needed to get better. It was a little rough on the ego, but it was good for the work. It may have taken me a while to understand the internship didn't exist for me to prove what a good job I could do, but to learn from people who were actually experts so that I could do better. I don't know this young leader's heart. There are a couple of things that we can see in how he approaches Jesus, though. He opens by addressing Jesus as good teacher. And in the original language, that doesn't mean like, hey, that's a good glass of lemonade. It means the type of good that is unique to God. It could easily be translated as a good, godly teacher. So either this guy is leading with flattery in hopes of getting on Jesus' good side, or really, he really does recognize that Jesus has the unique goodness of God. Maybe it's both. But those words will soon be challenged with a call to action. Then the man asks what he has to do to earn eternal life. <laughs> I'm going to emphasize that. What can I do to earn It's not yet a work of faith in God's goodness or generosity, but it comes across as a reliance upon himself to earn God's favor, or at least to hear from Jesus that he already has it. So Jesus uses the Ten Commandments, as he often does, to remind people of our need for grace that must be given and not earned. He lists them to see if anything registers as a stumbling block, so this man might acknowledge his deficiency or sin, seek forgiveness, turn from his brokenness, and live reliant upon the kindness of God. And notice he starts with the latter ten that deal more with relationship with neighbors. 
Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. Honor your parents. Surely one of those might spark a little sense of conviction in a person who's being honest with himself. But what Jesus got instead was, yep, check, 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 and check. Down to earth since birth, Jesus. Just check my record. It's spotless. Then Jesus checks him on the first three commandments. No other gods besides Yahweh. No idol that would fulfill the role of the one true God. And don't use the Lord's name for vain purposes. That leads to our second lesson. What we refuse to surrender for Jesus becomes the ceiling on our growth. What we refuse to surrender for Jesus becomes the ceiling on our growth. Verse 22, when Jesus heard his answer, he said, There's still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus can see hearts and spirits in ways that we cannot, even if we're very gifted at discernment. Jesus can see the hurts, the obstacles, the brokenness and rebellion that we simply aren't able to observe. We might see some symptoms, but Jesus can see the sickness. In the Gospel of Mark telling of this story, Jesus' response begins with, Looking upon the man and loving him, Jesus said. Looking upon him and loving him. That's important to remember. As Jesus confronts this man's deficiency, it's not out of sadistic pleasure. It's out of compassion. See, this man served a prominent lowercase g God. It was not Yahweh, the liberating God of Israel. It was his own wealth. And that wealth became an idol when this leader chose to rely on his money instead of relying upon God. And when he proclaimed that Jesus was a godly teacher, then refused to listen to his godly teaching, he showed that his talk was vain flattery. He didn't really believe it. He believed in himself. And when this man found out that those things he trusted for eternity were not enough, instead of sticking around to learn from this godly teacher, he became sad, and he walked away. Jesus addresses wealth in general terms, making a claim that's a stumbling block that can keep people from following and trusting in God. That is no doubt true, and when I think that this young leader probably lived in a stone house without anything resembling plumbing, and his wealth was considered to be prohibitively great at the time, I know I still have a lot to learn from the godly teacher who's trying to convince me to let go of my idols. But wealth isn't the only thing that we put in the throne that belongs solely to God. It's anything that if Jesus asked us to hand it over for the sake of the kingdom, we'd refuse to give. We'd refuse to give and think it unreasonable and become very sad. And perhaps we too would walk away. And if we think there are parts of our lives that Jesus doesn't want us to surrender for the sake of God's kingdom, we've missed Christ's call through the Gospels. In Luke chapter 9, just earlier in the same Gospel, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. 
He said to another person, come follow me. And the man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. And another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And these stories attack our sensibilities because the things Jesus asked these would-be followers to lay down, they don't seem bad. And Jesus doesn't seem to be very nice about it. But earlier in this same chapter, he told the listening crowd one of those crowd-thinning lessons that we talked about last week. He said, if anyone wants to follow, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? Jesus' movement was not about half-hearted, foot-dragging self-preservation. A broken world isn't transformed by people who refuse to address our own brokenness. Those who refuse to be transformed in this work of Jesus isn't just a cosmetic fix. He's wanting to do work down at a soul level, and he cuts through a lot of layers of pretense in order to do that radical spiritual transplant that's required. And surgery like that hurts, but the result is healing. In this case, eternal healing. And we can refuse treatment, but it means that the sickness remains. The brokenness is never mended. It's never healed. Maybe the idol God hopes to transplant in our lives is money. Maybe it's our title or status. Maybe it's our public perception. It can be a career. It can be hungers, habits, or even sexual desire. Our political ideologies. It can even be our attempts to program our families for future scholarship opportunities at the expense of modeling spiritual development. Jesus will straight up meddle in our good stuff if it prevents us from experiencing God's best. And when Jesus lovingly confronts us with those things that we situate in the place of God, we, like the leader in today's scripture, we have a choice to make. And walking away from Jesus, that's one choice. But there's another choice. That leads to our third lesson. Jesus is greater than all we surrender for his sake. Jesus is greater than all we surrender for his sake. Those who heard the man... And Jesus' instruction said this, Then who in the world can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible for people is possible with God. Peter said, We've left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parent or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. I know I haven't yet surrendered everything that God will ask of me. I know there are areas in my life that provide me with an illusion of security in ways that prevent me from fully trusting in Christ. I have not arrived yet, and I know I've got a ways to go. And I desire to go where Jesus would take me. I know my half-hearted, foot-dragging self-preservation gets in the way. I know the act of surrender doesn't always feel good. But I also know that God is really good. And the kingdom of God is introducing the world that is really good. 
and the eternal life that Jesus has won through us through his sacrifice and surrender is better than anything I could ever imagine. I'm not a great patient, but I stay with Jesus because I know that I need the type of healing that Christ has to offer. And in the glimpses of eternity, those dim and blurry images of an incorruptible kingdom marked by justice, mercy, love, holiness, and joy, those glimpses that my finite eyes have been privileged to experience in this life through scripture and through holy imagination, they all remind me of the old hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. How on earth can we surrender enough for the kingdom of God? We can't. Not on our own, but when we continue to walk with Jesus and continue to experience those glimpses of a goodness beyond whatever we hand over, we'll have the help of God to make it possible. It only happens when we walk with Jesus, but it doesn't happen if we walk away. Would you pray with me? Gracious Lord, we pray that you would shine light in our hearts so that we know those things that might be stumbling blocks to a deeper faith. God, we pray that you would allow us to experience the healing the spiritual transplant that you desire to do in our lives. You haven't come just to make good people better. You've come to take dead people and make us alive. Lord, help us to lay down those things that stand in the way of our full commitment to you. Be that beautiful shining beacon that calls us into better kingdom living. And in the glimpses of the goodness that you have in store for us, Open our hands to let go of those things that we cling so tightly to in this life. And Lord, may it all be for your glory, for the sake of your kingdom that is coming and still to come. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. And we seek to do that in ever better ways through Christ our Lord. Amen.